This is Brad Warren, co-host with the late, great Thane Tinson of the Changing Waters podcast here on ASPN. I have the bittersweet duty to uh, present today two interviews uh, with uh, folks who were dear to Thane and um, who remember him well and render a, uh, a good tribute, uh, as do I. Uh, this was an important man in my life. Um, I look forward to, uh, uh, to, to presenting to you uh, the, the work of Steve, the, re the remembrance of Steve Fick uh, from Fishhawk Fisheries, who knew Thane for many, many years and worked with him uh, a long time. And also Brett Vanden Heuvel uh, from the Columbia River Keeper Group, uh, where uh, Thane uh, served on the board, as well as he served on the board of the organization I run, the National Fisheries Conservation Center. And we share a kind of uh, common thread of having had one of the best board members we've ever had. Uh, with that, we'll start with Brett Vanden Heuvel, and uh, here we go. Steve, am I, do I have that right? You, you're an Astoria boy and you knew each other growing up? Yeah, that's correct. I, I grew up, uh, I'm about uh, 10 years younger than Thane. And um, Thane had actually departed Astoria in his high school years. Uh, his father passed and he ended up actually in high school in Portland, as I recall, he and I talking about it. But Thane was always uh, an Astorian, uh, true, true to form his entire life. This was always home to him. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And we'll, we'll circle back to that. I think there's going to be some material there. And just to, to start things off, tell me about Fishhawk Fisheries. Well, I'm a first-generation processor. I, uh, a brief history of, like many in my time, um, I graduated from high school in 1975. I immediately went into the seafood industry to support my uh, college education. I both commercially fished on the Columbia River and I worked for Bumblebee Seafoods in the daytime, uh, pushing tuna racks at uh, Elmore. And I had that seafood relationship from the time I was 18. It did put me through college. I looked at those tuna fish and um, I swore I would never want to look at another fish. Uh, once I got out of college, it motivated me to get educated. And uh, at the same time, I uh, got an opportunity to fish uh, on the Columbia River at night, gill netted, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was like getting paid to go deer hunting, mm -hmm. and the way I looked at it. And uh, when I got out of college, I had saved enough money for a, a skiff to gill net with, and I also got the opportunity to go north with a friend of mine that uh, was a boat builder and a fisherman for 50 years uh, a friend of my mom and dad's and I fished in Cook Inlet with him. And at that point I saw opportunities while I was up there to, to buy surplus salmon roe for, for uh, fishing bait. And uh, I bought razor clams. And then two years later, I started shipping fish out of there. And uh, 1983, I started processing fish down here on the Columbia river and, and maintained a, uh, my uh, bad habit of wanting to commercial fish. Uh, and so I, I continue to that at some level today, but 1983 is when I started the business. Uh, 1989, I built a new plant here in Astoria. It's small by comparison of the Bornsteins or Pacifics, uh, 
for many years, we uh, had a receiving station in Newport. And when the troll fishery uh, had changed down there with a coho ESA uh, component playing into it in the summer, I then decided to uh, lease a processing facility in Kenai, Alaska and in 1992. And since then, we've been processing fish up there besides Astoria. So like I say, we employ uh, the, the peak of peak of time. I was up to 75, 80 employees here and 50 in Alaska. Now uh, I've gotten out of the shrimp business uh, in the traditional manner. And uh, so we, we generally seasonally have about 20 people for salmon and crab and it's a, a smaller scale. Yeah. And so salmon and crab is your mainstay. Uh, right. Other things that come in, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and all this time you, you knew Thane Tinson and uh, he was doing work as an attorney in fisheries and kind of taking on, as you mentioned earlier, the kind of the, the cause where people were getting a raw deal. He, he, he really wanted to fight for the little guy. And he did. Yeah. Did you work with Thane in, in, in that capacity? Well, I'll tell you where I first met Thane was um, we hired Thane to represent Salmon for All, which was an industry group, which today it continues to represent the non-recreational non fishing public, uh, commercial, this commercial sector primarily. Uh, and uh, we hired him to uh, protect us against litigation, advise us on legislative issues and uh, so forth. And that's really where I got got to meet him we had some uh, lawsuits during that time uh, where they tried to close down some fishing uh, we challenged that we won some we eventually lost some but we've forged ahead we've kept the industry intact and a lot of that is through the guidance of, of what Thane was able to participate um, he uh, he and I work closely together uh, save our wild salmon We've uh, both worked closely with that group. Uh, of course, he did a lot of uh, litigation in 1993 when they decided they'd walk uh, smolts around the dam instead of uh, having a free-flowing river. He was part of that litigation process, uh, which was very important to the Power Planning Act and the equity aspect of that in fairness to the natural resource uh, component of our hydro systems. So he's... He's been an incredibly important part in the fabric of Astoria. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Now, you mentioned both Salmon for All and Save Our Wild Salmon. Uh, and you're, you've been active in both groups and working with Thane in that context as well? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and interestingly enough, he he was visionary enough to uh, come to us processors later on. And he says, you know, you need a seafood processors association. Yeah, and he essentially took the bull by the horns, and he 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 herded the cats into the corral here, and and that that organization is uh, maintaining itself successfully today because we had so many uh, encompassing problems uh, on the West coast with, with seafood in general, uh, ground fish, crab allocation, uh, the, the tuna uh, negotiations that go on between Canada and the U S the U S Canadian treaty with salmon. All these things are important uh, components to successful seafood processing opportunities operations and he uh he led us down the road in the right path here and and uh, that's that's been very important to uh the northwest here and about how we've been able to engage in in management practices that's right yeah with uh, prior to the formation of the association were the seafood processors basically uh, showing up piecemeal those who could afford to would go to the meetings and those who couldn't sat on the sidelines and waited to, to get the bad news how did that work? Well, I, the thing, when you talk about Columbia River issues, we were always pretty well united through Salmon for All. And that was an organization that had been reinvented from the early 60s when there was initiatives to uh, outlaw commercial fishing on the Columbia River. Um, so on the Columbia River with salmon issues, we were fairly well united. And a lot of the ground fish issues hadn't come up yet that, we had the overfishing uh, of rockfish, sole, uh, some of the mismanagement on a national fisheries level that, uh, you know, encumbered the entire West Coast. And, yeah. and that, that's when he saw, hey, you got the same problem coming here that you have on Columbia River. And that's where, he's, that's where that West Coast Seafood Processors Association came in. But as far as the Columbia River, um, we've always – we've had a real tight rural um, uh, kind of unity. And he was always part of that. He was part of that team. Uh, he was kind of like the quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, in one sense, he, he would lead our strategy sessions of, of how do we, how do we get our message out that we are environmentalists, that we are sustainable, that we we are the protectors of fish, even though we want to catch them by and large, we want to protect them and we want to be in part, part of the solution, such as questioning barging, questioning water flows, uh, stopping continuation of uh, misuse of water on the Columbia River for, uh, you know, just simply holding water up where you, where you get uh, thermal pollution in, in the lower river at times. All these issues, and he really he really helped us focus on the real issues confronting salmon. And that really, when you look at the science, which he was very well versed on, showed that it wasn't harvest; it was all these other factors. And that's that is another important part: was that he was able to help guide us into partnerships with uh, Native Americans the, the mm. tribal concerns and understanding their cultures and how it was more than just, just the catching of the fish, but, uh, a lot of their, a lot of their, um, social and religious, uh, values are, are tied in salmon, like, 
like we in the lower Columbia are. And right. so he was able to help us get that message in partnerships. He worked with us. Uh, we made a road trip uh, back in the eighties. We took a component of contingent of people started here in Astoria, went to Hermiston, went up, up the river, all the way to, to uh, Boise, met with the governor up there and exchanged shared ideas about how can we coexist on the river? How can we have those potatoes with our fish? Yeah. How can we not hurt industry? How does ours operate? How does yours operate? And Thane was instrumental in, in getting us directed that way. I mean, those are, those are big, big deals that um, really help these communities. And he, you know, he could have made other life choices and he could have made a lot more money focusing on other issues in, in Portland. You bet. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out that uh, he was really never in it for the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, he was oh. he was in it for the little guy and for really the ability of the river and the sea to keep making fish. He probably rooted for the New York Mets when they won the World Series the first time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah. Hey, tell me this. What do you think uh, Thane would have thought of this new uh, plan that uh, uh, has just come out of Idaho? It uh, looks like a. a, a really very uh, forward-looking attempt to set things right on the river. You know, this it's Mike Simpson's plan. It's just come out. Have you seen this? Well, he his goal was to see Celilo Falls again. I want to preface that. He, you know, common sense and logic sometimes doesn't uh, get to – be an application, unfortunately. But he, I think there's a lot of promise. I think he'd be very supportive of that. I think removal of, of dams that, of really minimal value uh, that we can resolve issues for those with their businesses up there, get them the water, get them the transportation. Um, I think he'd be a very strong advocate of that. Yeah. He was a very strong advocate of that. We talked about that often, you know, of what what can and could be practically done. And that's not that unrealistic from happening. Yeah. Yeah. It was very supportive of that. Right. Now you mentioned the, 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 uh, the, the attempt to control the thermal, um, Oh, really the overheating of the river in these sort of sun heated slack water pools behind the dams. And mm-hmm. I know that Thane was involved in some of the early litigation that put the thermal standards in and uh, was that a salmon for all case? Um, we were part, you know, we were part of it. There were many groups, if I recall, yeah. on that. That particular one in 93 that Judge Marsh um, was involved with um, that made a decision on the barging. I believe, you know, we were one of the parties to it. And, yeah. you know, it was it was a very important turning point of how we were going to manage uh, recovery and increased production and hatchery and wild production and all how that's going to go together. And you know we've made, in my belief, we've made progress slowly since that time. But if if we would have just said, oh, we can throw them in a barge or we can grow them below below those dams and and uh, 
and not have any emphasis on the Northwest Power Planning Act, which I don't think we still have defined equity fairly. Um, and he, he and I talked about that too, you know, equal means 50-50 in my book. It doesn't mean, you know, you, you pick, you cut the pie and you pick the piece and that's kind of what's happened. And, but he, you're getting into an issue. I don't know the, the, the details of, so fill me in here a little bit on, on, on the Northwest power planning act. There's an equity provision in, in, in your view and things. It never really has come to fruition. It sounds like, tell me about that. Well, it never really has because I don't think the concerns of wildlife and fish on, on top of it, it wasn't just about fish. It was about wildlife and the natural resources and the health of the river. All these things were considerations in that power planning act. And what, what has happened was, I, I think it's been, and I'm biased in this, and Dane and I talked about this a lot too, but it's still skewed to other uses, transportation, uh, hydro, um, all these other uh, irrigation, you know, we could have more responsible irrigation practices, um, but it's better than it could have been and would have been without him fighting, you know, like with the marsh ruling, you know, you don't get to barge everything now and then just hold all the water back. That's not, you know, that was, they, they did an excellent job of proving that wasn't a solution, that they have had not good results, generally speaking about it. Yeah. Um, I remember that well, those are all part of a yeah. process we're going to continue to move forward on. Yeah. The judge's wording in that was very powerful. That was actually the case. I, I met Thane shortly after they had won that, that mm -hmm. movie, Thane and the others working on it. And the, the, the judge's wording made me laugh. This is like the fox complaining that the chickens haven't been fed. Yeah. So, well, like I say, we've got a lot of work to move forward with. I just completed two years of work myself with uh, user groups along the river, clear up to Montana, that is kind of giving advice to NOAA where we want to head in the future, how we can work together. And that's, that's the type of work that Thane did. What I liked about Thane, I learned a lot from him. He's a mentor in a lot of ways in my business. I learned from him for my business. How do you get results and minimize impacts on people? And I've used that same philosophy with business. How, how do I make a profit and make the person I'm selling the fish to successful? Yeah. You know, and he he was always cognizant of the effects it was going to have on a lot of people. He was not callous to, you know, geez, if we knock these dams out, well, so what about the farmer? Or so what about transportation? He was always looking for partnerships of how we come up with reasonable, meaningful solutions that everybody stays whole. You and that's... That's what I liked about Thane. And he, he, uh, he'd call it for what it was, was, and he had good arguments when he would take a, when he would take a stance on something, he, he, it wasn't about emotion. He had, he had factual basis for what he was talking about. And that was why he's such a good, powerful attorney. Yeah. He, he was, he was terrific. Uh, yeah. Wise hand. Yeah. Yeah. 
Steve, thank you. I think we covered it and I look forward to more. This feels like a, a, a good place to end and uh, the beginning of more conversations to come. Well, I, I, I will like to add one thing about about Thane is that, you know, he was a dear friend. We uh, talked to him. I spoke to him two days before he passed. Just uh, he was going to come down and steal some crab and I was going to have to buy him lunch on top of it. And, and I look forward to that. But he, you know, he was one. Of, I've had other friends like that, that he didn't like bullies. Mm-hmm. And he didn't accept that. And he he would do the things sometimes that were very um, um, maybe uh, uh, how could I put it? He he just he just was willing to to uh, step up sometimes where it wasn't easy to step up because of principle. And I always appreciated that about Thane. And the other thing I really affect really appreciated about him was I could watch him around people and he could. He could have differing viewpoints. Didn't matter if it was this or political candidates or or some other aspect of our lives. And everybody walked out of the room, nobody's mad at each other. Mm-hmm. And he was the kind of guy that would respect those views. He had a very close friend that was very conservative. They went to Vietnam together. I watched him drink a beer, laugh about things at night and and hug and go home, you know. Yeah. So anyway, he was a super guy. I honor and know him. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Well said. Uh, Thane really was one of the people who built and kept the vision of collaborative problem solving that's at the center of the organization that I've been running and mm-hmm. uh, National Fisheries Conservation Center. Yeah. He, he kept us on track so many times uh, in exactly yeah. the way you described. Yeah. I, I'm going to miss him. We're very pleased to have with us today, Brett Vanden Heuvel, who was and, and is a, a, a great fan and friend of Thane's and remembers working with him for a long time. And uh, it is the executive director of the Columbia Riverkeeper. And I, I, just as a, as a start, uh, why don't you give me the kind of elevator version of uh, the Columbia Riverkeeper and its work? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here too, to, to talk about Thane and it's, um, yeah, sad occasion for stepping into his, to his shoes, but he was, uh, Thane was one of the founders of Columbia Riverkeeper in the year 2000 and were, uh, you know, one of the many things that he had his hands in over the years and, um, yeah, really close friend of mine and board member for a long time. So Riverkeeper is, a nonprofit that's dedicated to protecting the Columbia River. And most of our work is from the Canadian border down to the estuary. So we take a watershed approach. Um, We work to fight for clean water, reduce toxic pollution, um, protect and restore salmon stocks. A big part of our work has been fighting against fossil fuel infrastructure from coal trains and oil terminals and, and fracked gas and, you know, working to not only protect clean water, but try to protect our climate. Um, and so it's been a, let's see, 
when I started about 12, 13 years ago, we had, I think, three staff, and now we're up to about 15. Um, our organization has grown as, you know, the need to protect the Columbia has grown. And so we have an awesome team of, um, we have five environmental attorneys and community organizers and communications professionals. And um, we have offices in Portland and Hood River. Um, and Great. so we've, yeah, it's feel like it's a, really exciting time for our organization. And um, it's something that Thane really helped not only start, but build over the years. Yes, I know he was devoted to it. He served on our board uh, for 20 <laughs> years, I think it was, uh, starting in the, in the mid nineties when we got, to, he, he was a founding board member at NFCC as well. Um, and so I, I, I heard about your work indirectly through him and he was, he was enthusiastic. He really believed in this um, and, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is to fill me in on some of the major issues that you took on that Thane was involved in with you. Yeah. Um, one of the really prominent early issues um, when I started was the liquefied natural gas terminals in, well, there were several proposed at the time, but down in the estuary, one, uh, near Cliftwood or Clifton Channel at a place called Bradwood, Bradwood LNG. And there was one on the Skippinon Peninsula called Oregon LNG near Warrington. And um, at that time, you know, like, like now we've been fighting these big fossil fuel projects for a long time. But at that time, those were the really early ones on the Columbia, you know, to take when the fracking was increasing and to take all this uh, gas and to be able to do something with it, to export it to Asia. And, um, the, the local folks were fighting it, you know, the, the, the commercial fishermen, um, the local residents, and they weren't getting much traction with environmental groups. And Thane's story on this is that his mother who lived in, Thane was raised in Astoria and his mother, you know, lived there for a long time. And, um, it was always kind of cool to see Thane going down to Every time we went to that story, he'd go visit his mother. You know, this the yeah. seventy-year-old guy. <laughs> I'm talking about the need to go visit his mother, and um, and you know, she she told Thane that this was important, that it was a big deal, that local folks cared about it, and and Thane made the pitch to Columbia Riverkeeper to get involved, um, and and we did, and it um, it was a really exciting thing where there's a lot of legal work, but also a lot of organizing. We actually, you know, eventually had a couple of big victories over these LNG terminals. And this was starting in, a, in about 2000, you were, it, it were pretty early. This was, yeah, I think these terminals were proposed in 2003, 2004. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was this a big debate? I mean, I'm thinking that for, um, uh, for folks involved in a, a riverkeeper organization dealing with something out on the edge of the sea, uh, a, a, a fossil fuel development that it might be not a river issue, but maybe an ocean issue. It might, might've been something people had to debate. Is that really ours to do? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Brad. And, and, and we've had these conversations over the years for a lot of things, especially as we've done more and more climate work. Right. Um, and, you know, how is this related to water quality and, and um, you know, 
our board has been fantastic about that. They've, they've really made that connection. And Thane was a big proponent of that early on. And, you know, for something like LNG, sure, there was huge, there was, it was actually a nice gateway into some of the <laughs> climate issues, um, looking back at it, because there were a lot of uh, aquatic impacts where they were dredging a giant shipping, you know, a turning basin in the, in this prime estuary salmon habitat. There was potential for spills. They were building big new docks. And so, there was, you know, there was habitat impacts, but you know, I mean, I think why people have put so much energy into these over the years was beyond habitat. It's habitat plus the climate impact of, of locking us into fossil fuel infrastructure for decades, you know, and we need to be moving on to, to, to cleaner sources. So our board has, yeah, had lots of debates about that. And I think we've always come down on the side of, you know, climate change is actual, you know, absolutely critical issue of our time and it affects water quality right the columbia for example is too hot for salmon to survive in and the dams cause that but climate change is making it worse and so if we're going to have long-term survival of salmon we need to address the climate crisis right and and this is i mean we're, we're on the same page obviously and, and on that i wanted to ask you to fill me in a little bit on there's a a, a deep history that i personally know very little about um, of uh, wrestling uh, over thermal limits on water in the Columbia and the role of the dams in that. And I, I, I know you guys have been involved in that. I know Thane was passionate about it and very proud yeah. of the work that, that uh, he was able to be part of. I wonder if you can sort of go back to the beginning and paint that picture. Yeah, so the... The Columbia River is is warming up, and there there are limits. There are safe limits for salmon, right? Salmon are cold water species, and so the the scientists have determined that um, anything over sixty eight degrees Fahrenheit is unsafe, even for migration, right? They need it colder to spawn, you know, much colder, but just to travel up the main stem to get to where they need to go, sixty eight degrees is the maximum, and Columbia exceeds that in the summer, and you know, it's it's temperature like hot water is pollution, right? It's it's it is considered a pollutant and it just flies under the radar of everybody because, you know, if, if there was a giant oil spill in the river, everyone would notice, right? But as the river warms up. And just to sort of paint the picture, there's a role that dams and diversions have played in this by making the river more vulnerable to sun heating in the summer, right? Exactly. Describe that physical process for a minute. Yeah, so the dams create reservoirs on the Columbia. They're very shallow reservoirs for the most part. And, um, stagnant water and that slow moving shallow water is absorbing solar radiation and warming up and not only that but it's keeping it in place longer and so um, there's been some recent studies where the dams are essentially each dam is warming up the river by a couple degrees fahrenheit yeah um, so when you put that together you get from the dams a preview of climate change conditions that threaten salmonids coastwide um, and, and I know that this was a, a key issue, getting EPA to set thermal standards. And it, 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 were you guys involved in, in, in that? Kind of yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, well, 20 years ago, EPA, you know, under the Clean Water Act, if a water body is exceeding the safe limit for any pollution, EPA has to create, uh, or the states have to create a plan under the Clean Water Act called a TMDL, which is essentially a pollution budget. And EPA did so for the Columbia 20 years ago. It pointed to the dams as a source of pollution and it got shelved. You know, the, the, the 
rumors on it is the Army Corps of Engineers said, no way, this isn't getting published and it put on a shelf. And so 20 years later, Columbia Riverkeeper sued EPA and, and won in court just recently, a couple of years ago, and the judge forced them to create, uh, to, to finish this plan and, and publicize it or publish it. And it, um, it identified, it was pretty similar to the plan 20 years ago. It identified the dams as the source of pollution. And so we're right in the middle of that right now. And um, we have a great court opinion. EPA is about to finalize their, the, the temperature budget for the Columbia. And we're, the state of Washington and Oregon have been great saying they're gonna require the dams to meet the safe level for salmon. And we're really excited about it. Um, and yeah, and Thane was a really an early proponent of that because he recognized the, you know, the science and the, the need for legal action. Um, the, the federal government under any administration, much less the Trump administration, wasn't going to do what was necessary to, um, you know, to, to make the hard choices about protecting salmon. Right, right. It's, it's been one of the big conundrums for a long time. Uh, do, um, um, it, it, can you describe some of the ways that Thane played a, <clears throat> pardon me, that Thane played a role in that, in that decision process for you as an organization? Yeah, well, he is, you know, he's, he was a long, long time board member and, and very influential on our board and his legal experience, people, people um, really valued. And, and one of the things about Thane is he never, you know, he never pulled rank on anybody or sort of big timed anybody. He was just part of the discussion and, um, and he was certainly influential, but never tried to, you know, outweigh everybody. He brought everyone into the conversation and made everyone better. I felt. So this was an issue that he cared about and advocated for over the years. And um, the last few years he's been, he's been, he was off our board due to many other things while, while a lot of this litigation was going on, but it was a long running process that he was, he was certainly a champion of. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about some of the other cases where Thane played a role. I, mean, I know you've, you've, you've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of our legal work, he played a role because he was a sounding board and, you know, and offering advice. And then on top of that, he was, you know, an attorney who actually we would co-counsel with him. And some of my cutting my teeth as a you know, early days of an attorney, Thane was a real mentor to me. And um, we would go to, I remember the first mediation I did where you have a judge in both sides and you go back and forth. And just doing that with Thane was, was a real learning experience and very, uh, very thoughtful. Um, most attorneys are very risk averse and Thane was not. <laughs> and so um, it, it showed me an approach of just, you know, being aggressive and, and um, Thane was always able to say yes to all sorts of things. We had a, um, during the LNG days, we, we ran a ballot initiative. They were going to, they were going to run that the LNG company needed to run their giant pipeline, you know, 36 inch pipeline. And part of it was through um, all different kinds of zones in Clatsop County, right? It was through industrial zone, but then went through a bunch of farm zone and it happened to go through this zone that was called open space and parks. 
And, and it was a lot, pipelines were allowed through that at the time. And so we ran a ballot initiative in Clatsop County with a bunch of the local activists to say no pipelines in parks. <laughs> and, and this this particular place didn't happen to be a park, but it, it was open space. And so, and uh, we won that, we, you know, won by 30 points that ballot initiative in Clatsop County and the pipeline company challenged it and, and Thane and I were defending it. And it was great. I was, this is the first time I'd done something like this type of case. And Thane was my co-counsel and he just sat there and just, you know, let me go. And, and uh, it was such a reassuring presence to have him. I think this exemplifies a lot of my relationship with him that he was such a confidence booster. You know, he was there if I needed him and he, he yes. could have jumped in and taken over, but he was, he was letting me go, letting me make my mistakes. And it was, uh, it was a good case and we won, but, um, but he didn't feel the need to, to, you know, run it his way. Yes. Yes. Um, and this was true in our experience too. I mean, I, I, I was a, basically a young journalist when we started NFCC in 94. Hmm. And uh, he had that, at that point, he had just won the, the Marsh ruling where the DSIs, the, the, the big industrial power users were suing to shut down uh, Columbia river salmon fishing so that uh, they wouldn't have to spill water uh, <laughs> fish come down the river. And uh, the judge had ruled that this was akin to the fox complaining that the hens had not been fed. Um, and uh, it, it was, you know, it's just a very powerful ruling. I met Thane, uh, you know, uh, a demonstration in the street in, uh, in Portland mm. in, in the, in the spring of 93, uh, at, when he was, uh, had just won this case, uh, he and other attorneys, and he was giving a talk about it to a group of, of native fishermen and, and non-native fishermen and environmental activists. And it was stunning. Uh, it, was, it, it was such a powerful case. It was clearly a, a landmark then. And there was not a dry eye in the crowd. Mm. I mean, it, he was such a powerful speaker and very humble in the way he did it. You know, it, it, was, uh, it was very clear that this guy was a great broadsword litigator. Uh, there are not very many around, and you know, <laughs> he really was one. Um, and through the years, the same, uh, this sense of, of humble uh, mentoring. Uh, mm -hmm. I never felt like he was bossing me around. He would he would argue with me, mm -hmm. and usually he prevailed. Uh, if, if, if I was wrong, um, uh, he was the first on our board to, to, to point it out. If, if, if I was steering us towards something that just was going to be a dead end, he would he would call it. And for us, actually, as an organization, we're collaborative problem solving by, by core mission. Uh, so litigation has never been a first option. And, uh, and we've looked at it a few times. And each time, as you know, like a warrior who knows how to make peace, it was Thane who said, no, <laughs> no, no. you know, leave that to other people. That's yeah. not what we're here for. And it had a lot of weight coming from him. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I think that's just very, you know, wise. And he's probably been part of enough groups to see that, okay, this group uses litigation as a regular tool and it has these advantages, but it has these disadvantages and, you know, knowing, knowing how to move those chess pieces as a overall community, um, that, that wisdom will definitely be missed. Oh, it will. It will. Yeah. Tell me, um, there's, I mean, outside of this, you know, incredible career that Thane shared with us, um, fighting for the resource, 
as a human being. Uh, and I, I always had the sense that uh, for you, as for me, he was like an older brother. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm right in that. Um, it, t- tell me how, uh, tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's right. He, and I was just, we, we did a, um, uh, last uh, several days ago, time is, time is getting a little fuzzy, but, um, we did a very small Thane's, Thane's daughter and his son came out to Hood River and we had just a few people gather outside and, um, and it was classic Thane actually, where it was, you know, kind of organized at the last minute. It was blowing about 30. <laughs> it was cold and raining. <laughs> we were on the end of what's called the Hook and Hood River. And it was just this beautiful day and big rainbows came out and we took some flowers and threw them up into the wind and they went in the river. And, um, and some of the, you know, hearing different stories from his family really reflected on you know, some of the experiences that I had. And so that, that big brother concept was, was interesting. Um, but yeah, for me, I think just going back to that, he, he always made people feel better. You know, he made me feel more confident. He was there to let pe- let me make my mistakes. He was there to give a stern word when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think most of all that ability to just, take things on, not overthink it. You know, this is the right thing to do. Let's do it. And we'll figure out a way, you know, along, along the way, we'll figure out how to do this, but the, the yes or no, the why that should we do this is, is yes, because it's the right thing to do. He had this just incredible sense of justice. Yes. Uh, um, my, my former coworker, Brent Foster, who was very good friends with Thane, he was a, director of Columbia Riverkeeper before me and then w- did a lot of cases with Thane over the years. And um, he was telling this story about this, this project in Hood River where Columbia Riverkeeper now has a conservation easement to, to, pr- to restore this area of waterfront. We use it for education. It's an amazing site called Nichols Natural Area, but it was proposed to be a big hotel and commercial building right on the water. And they were going to do a cable park where they're dragging wakeboarders around and cables uh, by cables and it was going to block access to the river. And so Brent and Thane took it on and they were going to challenge this and they eventually won. And Brent said, he remembers going to Thane. He's like, I've got this case, need your help. It's going to be a really hard case. We don't have good facts or, you know, the law's not great on our side. It's going to take several years and you're almost certainly not going to get paid. (laughs) 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 And it was like, yes, let's do it. Those are the kinds of things that, um, you know, he saw the, is this, is this the right thing to do or not? Yeah. Yeah. They don't grow lawyers on trees who do that. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, I think we covered the ground well enough for the time we have. I, I want to acknowledge that this podcast exists because Thane really advocated for it. So here we are. In a, in a forum that Thane created, um, and uh, we get a chance to celebrate. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, bringing that. yeah, thanks for having me. And I think all of, of your work, Brad, is a, you know, 
continuation of his legacy as well and the amazing work that y'all are doing and um Thank yeah you. i'm sure he'd be very proud of proud of that well likewise i, I we, we we were lucky to get to work with him and we're fortunate to get to carry it forward <laughs> <laughs>